This week's episode is brought to you by Depression Yen. Thank you, Depression Yen. It's with the generous support of listeners like you that we get to keep secretly infusing the breakfast cereal with sentient rainbow-colored nanomachines designed to slowly turn your genitals into a broadband signal generator to help track the presence of hostile reptilian UFOs hiding in the Oort cloud. If you'd also like to become one of our illustrious supporters, please visit www.patreon.com slash thewholerabbit, where your monthly donation of just $5 gets you access to our entire library of extended shows in convenient RSS feed format, compatible with your podcast player of choice. A 5x5 vinyl sticker of our cover art and the secret keys to our Discord server where the creators and denizens of the show hang out and chat about things that'll disturb your Uber driver. This week's episode sees us discussing the highly recommended yet poorly understood practice of shadow work. We explore the words of Carl Jung, Alistair Crowley, and our very own Heka Astra as we discuss what the shadow is, where it came from, and why we need to work with it to attain our fullest mental and spiritual power. Thank you and enjoy the show. a joke god damn it you don't like that guy you don't, i mean you ever heard of him no mari knows right away she's missed a joke it's kind of funny that's how you develop a really big shadow you need a lot of emotional damage hello everybody and welcome to the whole rabbit where we don't just tell you to keep acting like a pedantic self-congratulating meta-narrative commenting tweet mongering upvote having humble bragging starstruck oversharing compliment fishing no game having reply tree hell dwelling cake of light eating unrepentant demon people only to love yourself anyway and accept your negative qualities in the name of shadow work nay we drag hercules carl jung alistair crowley batman and francis ford coppola into the mix to share their perspectives on the occult method of integrating the shadow i'm your host hack rabbit i'm joined this week by co-host mari not sorry sama <laughs> the dark of heartness malcor five uh hello <laughs> and the delicious demonstrator of demonic dancing, Heka Astra. Hello. I think now is a good time for the shadow twerk joke. Make that shadow so booty shake. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what the episode's goal is today is to teach you how to make a shadow twerk. Make it work for that money. I mean, Luke said demonic dancing, and that's what shadow twerking is. Making that shadow booty clap. Yeah, make it rain those shadow dollars. So, um, Chiron's in retrograde. It's a pretty good time to be doing a shadow work. Speaking of episode. people with giant asses that clap, he's the, the centaur, centaur, by the way. The centaur of attention. He's got a big horse bum. Mm-hmm. Can horses twerk? Their legs bend the other way. <laughs> they could figure it out. A centaur could. They like alcohol. That's why they need to drink. Yeah, I really like the mythological... Uh, depiction of centaurs because when I was you know when you're growing up you don't really think about it like I, I remember Harry Potter the movie and I was like oh cool centaur that's like my it's my spirit animal because it's my zodiac sign as I got older I was like wait like it's like half a man and half a beast like it's pretty how did that even come to be like somebody fucked a horse didn't they you don't want to know <laughs> so Chiron what does he have to do with shadow work? He's known as the wounded healer. And in your astrological chart, Chiron represents your deepest wounds, but also the efforts needed to heal those wounds. 
And in Greek mythology, he was the centaur. I think Luke spoke about him before. Uh, so Chiron was renowned for being wise and highly adept at medicine and healing. And according to the myths, Chiron was pierced by a poison arrow made with hydra blood and was ironically unable to heal himself. And in some versions of the story, the source of the poison was from Heracles, to whom Chiron had previously given the knowledge of said poison to. Although it was by accident, the wound from the Hydra's poison was so unbearably painful that Chiron was willing to surrender his immortality to Prometheus just to have relief in death. As a bonus, this enabled Heracles to check off one of the 12 labors he had taken on in order to atone for the killing of his wife and child when Hera made him temporarily insane for being the child of adultery himself. So in your astrological chart, Chiron represents deep-seated spiritual wounds, as well as your ability to heal those wounds by working hard to try to overcome them. Chiron also represents ways in which we might damage ourselves, like shoot ourselves in the foot, and also represents how we might heal ourselves, and the wisdom gained from the difficulties involved, and the ways in which we might try to overcompensate for the wounds in the first place. So Chiron, is an actual comet and it's currently in retrograde. It went retrograde on the 19th of July this year and it will stay retrograde until December 23rd this year. And what this basically means for everyone is that the vulnerabilities as opposed to strengths from those deep wounds will be brought forward, which means if you haven't acknowledged them or you haven't wanted to look at them, it might affect you more intensely during Chiron's retrograde. Aww. 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 <laughs> so since Chiron represents wisdom and healing, being in retrograde means that things that you have not gained wisdom from are vulnerable to or your unhealed aspects will be brought forward more clearly, you know, might be put right in front of your face. So you may find yourself confronted with these things during the time that Chiron's in retrograde. And it does have a lot to do with this week's topic, which is shadow work. So exactly how much black tourmaline do I need to work with to... Avoid all the problems while Chiron's in <laughs> retrograde. That's what I want to know. Just just load up on black tourmaline and black kyanite and shungite. Hell yeah. Because <laughs> I don't want to face my, my problems. I don't want oh, to. No, first step, wake up and brush with some, uh, some charcoal-activated toothpaste. Oh, charcoal's just good. All black everything. <laughs> first step to shadow work. Just avoid it. Avoid all the problems at any cost, right? That's how it works. <sighs> <laughs> well, at least we wish. We wish it did. So for people who don't know what the shadow is the, or what shadow work is, shadow work isn't just looking at your traumas and accepting them. It's not just saying I have negative aspects of myself and I'm OK with that. It's not saying I can be a bitch sometimes and I'm going to love that part of me anyways. It's actually a whole lot more than that. Becky. <laughs> yeah, like, do, do you really want to ever advocate an attitude of being a bitch or an asshole to your moral scope? Like, the answer should be no, because then you're a logical fallacy. It, it's kind of like getting it, the word mature and shadow work kind of go hand in hand. It's like, over time, you're going to realize that you shouldn't just be angry about that thing. Because over time, you realize that it was... A waste of your energy to be angry about it. And it's not until you're older or you go through the experience that you even have that perspective. But on the flip side, it's also not correct to want to separate yourself from, for example, this anger. You want to understand why you feel that way. Not deny it, because if you deny it, it's going to find a way to boil to the surface. On this exact thing, C.G. Jung says, The shadow personifies everything that the subject refuses to acknowledge about himself, 
and represents a tight passage or a narrow door whose painful constriction no one is spared who goes down into the deep well. So if you think of your consciousness as being a light, then the shadow is your unconsciousness. The conscious perspective of yourself does not encompass the unconscious aspects by default. However, the unconscious aspects of yourself do affect your conscious actions, whether you realize it or not. Quite a large portion of understanding what the shadow is and how it came to be as it is has to do with aspects of ourselves that have been rejected, unloved, or refused in some form or another. This starts happening at an early developmental stage. When we start learning biases, it gets built upon more as time goes on. Often these traits result in unhealthy perspectives, actions, or behaviors that can become so habitual that we're not even aware of it. That's really the problem. Our self-identities become formed from the same experiences that contribute to our shadows, and it results in the perception that we have discovered ourselves, we've come into ourselves, while at the same time unconsciously rejecting aspects of ourselves. So the shadow ultimately is comprised of unintegrated aspects of ourselves, both conscious and unconscious, since the conscious aspects also find roots in our unconscious. So just because you don't detect it right away doesn't mean it's not influencing you. Yeah, I think the more you do shadow work, the more you start to realize how true that is. You said it well. And as I've mentioned in previous episodes, the shadow or like Goetia or, uh, you know, black magic, I like to say that it's very much like the empty space of a bridge. If you have too much building material, it'll make the structure fall under its own weight. It's the right balance between stuff and no stuff conscious and unconscious activity that holds that bridge. And, you know, the whole idea of what do you need a bridge for is also analogous to shadow work. Like, what are you trying to cross? What what river or pit of fire, whatever you want to symbolically imagine you're crossing, is another way of looking at this, too. Being poor. That's usually the lake of fire I'm trying to cross over. I think you're really building a bridge to yourself. And in doing so, you're bridging to the outside as well, like to the external by building that bridge to your inner self. Yeah. One piece of land to another piece of land. There's no difference. That's me over there. Because I guess if you're going to build a support beams for this bridge, you might have to jump down, you know, depending on what your payload is. If you want to train to cross that bridge, you're going to have to build some long beams. So you're going to have to go down there and fight some dragons and really get dirty to build an awesome bridge. Anything to cross Dry Dick River. I'd go as far to say, most of our favorite movies involve some form of shadow work, if you know how to look at the story. When stories are interpreted as an internal process going on within the protagonist, the other characters become avatars of the unconscious forces in that person's life. And we can look at almost any story through that lens, where the antagonist is usually just the anthropomorphization of the hero's shadow. The most straightforward example I can think of in terms of movies and the protagonist facing a shadow would probably be Batman and Joker, Dark Knight. Both characters want to send a message to society about how to behave and are willing to break the law, use brutal force and theatrics to accomplish it. Joker's biggest goal seems to be getting Batman to compromise on his principles and become just like he is, entirely unrestrained. Oh yeah, he even, uh, there's even a scene where Joker is basically telling Batman that you and I are the same. It's funny because at the end of Killing Joke, he tells Batman, can I tell you a joke? And he's telling him about these people who are robbing, a, you know, they're, they're thieves and there's a big gap. And he's like, hey, you hold the flashlight and make a bridge across. And I'll walk over first and the guy's like, and then he's like, and then you throw me the flashlight and then, uh, you know, you do, I'll do the same for you. And then he's like, hell no. He's like, he's like, why not? He's like, cause you're going to turn your flashlight off when I start to cross. So 
And then Batman laughs and punches him, and then the comic's over. <laughs> Another classic example, and probably my favorite, is Apocalypse Now and the struggle between Willard and Colonel Kurtz. So to people who master shadows, Willard and his superiors, it seems that Colonel Kurtz has been swallowed up by these shadows, and it necessitates his assassination. On the way to facing off with the Colonel, Willard encounters numerous people who are entirely consumed by their shadow, with a spectacular few possessing at least partial mastery over it. Most of the time it's obvious, so Willard says that he thought he'd know exactly what to do when he laid eyes on Kurtz, but he didn't. Despite his uncertainty, Willard admits to Kurtz that he sees no method to his madness. Kurtz demonstrates, at Willard's expense, that while he operates with his shadow, only those who have integrated theirs fully, or made a friend of horror, will be capable of understanding that his commanding principle is not his shadow, but his union with his anima, which, as we'll get to later, Jung describes as believing in the beautiful and the good. When Kurtz finally understood this, he describes himself, and by extension, his ego slash shadow complex, as being shot with a diamond bullet, whereupon he gained the gnosis. These were not monsters. These were men, trained cadres. These men who fought with their hearts, who had families, who had children, who were filled with love but they had the strength, the strength to do that. If I had 10 divisions of these men, our troubles would be over here very quickly. Such a good movie. I, yeah, I think those are two examples that get the point across of one who works in the shadows, so to speak. Two other, probably at the top of my list, of art pieces that have heavy themes of shadow work and that are very personal and real for some people uh, is Silent Hill 2, specifically. Uh, that game is amazing. If you haven't played it, play it and... Pink Floyd's The Wall, if you are familiar with the album and the lyrics and then you watch the movie, it's it's mind-blowing. The Wall is symbolizes like not a mental break, but a mental fortification and like turtling of, hard to describe, but like a mental block with reality and what's your world and what's the real world. And it's not until the end that the guy kind of breaks his own wall down because and he goes all Nazi mode and it's like, that's who he really is inside. He gets but, consumed by a shadow. Yeah. Pink. And it's... Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one if you haven't seen it. But how does it make any sense that you got to do some dirty work to, to make your life better? One major point we kept coming back to in our series about the Book of the Law and the religion of Thelema is that it wasn't just Aleister Crowley who was hit with a wave of radical ideas around the turn of the century that would revolutionize his field of study and change the way people saw the world. There were others. Around the same time, Einstein revolutionized the way we saw the external universe. In the field of the mind, we had Sigmund Freud and his prolific student Carl Jung, who would forever change the way we understood the internal universe of the psyche, a world which actually means the soul. Psyche meaning soul. The German poet philosopher Goethe once proclaimed that there was no crime he had ever heard of which he felt he was incapable of potentially committing. This idea of having such a strong dichotomy of one's inner self became the key area of study for Carl Jung, who would develop it into what we know today as the psychological shadow. Jung explained that our shadow grew alongside our fledgling persona as kids. Well, our persona is what we believe and others believe ourselves to be. Our shadow is that hidden, repressed, for the most part inferior and guilt-laden personality whose ultimate ramifications reach back into the realm of our animal ancestors, as Jung says. And furthermore, if it has been believed hitherto that the human shadow was the source of evil, 
It can now be ascertained on closer investigation that the unconscious man, that in his shadow does not consist only of morally reprehensible tendencies, but also displays a number of good qualities, such as normal instincts, appropriate reactions, realistic insights, and creative impulses, etc. The idea that the keys to being a whole person were being guarded by the same inner forces which were responsible for one's personal evil was no less than a revolution for psychology, and in terms of collective understanding, it's still being unpacked, even long after Jung's name has begun to disappear from introductory psychology textbooks as anything more than an over-enthusiastic student of an embarrassingly archaic, dirty old man named Sigmund Freud. I found this kind of frustrating because, well, psychology classes gloss over Freud, Jung, archetypes, integrating the unconscious and the shadow. You find these concepts being introduced at the advanced level whenever critical analysis is being done concerning issues of race, gender, culture. For example, everybody sort of knows that homophobic people are aroused by homosexual activity. We know, even to the point of taking it for granted, that homophobic people have shadow work to do. Even to the point of knowing that said homophobe needs to consciously reclaim the exact aspects of the self they have so strongly rejected. So I think it's a little premature to throw Jung and archetypes in the trash when even on a, like we understand this stuff in our own terms. As Jung says, a man who is unconscious of himself acts in a blind, instinctive way and is in addition fooled by all the illusions that arise when he sees everything that he is not conscious of in himself coming to meet him from outside as projections upon his neighbor. I've never seen American Beauty. Basically, that happens at the end. <laughs> yeah, some people, they might interpret shadow work as, I should go and experience and try to, and for in some instances, that might work. Like, if you're afraid of the water, this doesn't apply to everybody, but yeah, maybe one time you go into the water and you have a good time and it changes the way you are. You know, if you're a homophobe, I, <laughs> you know, if and you, you're thinking about shadow work and what the fuck I got to do and you think you got to go and have some butt sex with a dude, I think that's just a wrong approach. It doesn't apply, you know, it doesn't, shadow work doesn't mean you have to go and try to confront what you are, you know, like your base instincts is, are telling you something and you're just not vibing with it. Shadow work doesn't mean you have to like actively go and physically try to. No. No, but you should figure out why it arouses you either to anger or, or thick, raging boner, even though it yeah. makes you angry. You should try and figure out why instead of just being like, gay! You know? Yeah, and I'd say like meditate on, on the idea of love first. That's the good and section to start on. Like, especially like homophobics, apparently, scientifically, it's proven that most of them have a sexual arousal when they when they witness that yeah. uh, like male on male. So in order to confront that shadow, like Mal was saying, you don't necessarily have to go start a relationship with a man, but maybe hang out with a gay guy in a brotherly way and learn to appreciate that. Or another thing is to delve into the feminine because gay men are generally more feminine or more emotional than typical men. So you could you could go get a pedicure with your best bro. Or you could also understand that like part of testosterone has to do with feelings of competition and that Sometimes when you see other males enacting sexual acts, regardless of whether it's with another man or not, it sparks a, a kind of competition. And part of that competition is also arousal. So yeah. like, you can think of it from a psychological perspective if it helps you wrap your head around it more. There's a, a lot of different ways that you can approach that. But like, if you're not open-minded en enough to even think about it, then you're not really going to get anywhere. Before any of that, you should learn love. You should meditate on love for years before you step to the discussion of 
saying, you're wrong for, for being gay and you got to go to hell. Like, wait, back up, go back home and learn about love. Like, go sit on your own and learn about love, figure it out, and then you can get where we're coming from. I'm gonna play devil's advocate. F all that love stuff, face why it pisses you off. That's all. You don't have to go touch butts. You don't have to watch gay porn. You need to sit in a dark closet with five grams of mushrooms and two giant bombers and ask yourself, why does this make you upset? That's okay, what so you need to do. You will find, if you dig into it enough, that whatever pisses you off, it pisses you off because of something that you have a relationship of love to that you think opposes that. And the point isn't to like embrace the opposite or something. It's to embrace yourself, to face the part of you that you are avoiding facing that this thing is constantly threatening to bring to the surface. Which you need to bring it to the surface yourself. The avoidance is what causes the negative aspects to surface, like the hatred and the homophobia. That's literally when the projection starts. Like that's at that critical level where this next section we're going to start getting into. Your output is just this screen of your problems now onto the world. And it's a real thing that people have to fucking deal with because you're just hating somebody and they're going to just do their best to just have to deal with your problem that you need to clean up and it's a it's a mental thing step one in short shadow work is basically toilet training for your psyche and by extension your soul like if you can't deal with your own shit, other people are well other people also have to deal with it but you also end up sitting in your own shit. you might ask what is it that we're talking about being projected well it's the same thing that's projected on a movie screen. Archetypes, symbols, they're essentially little characters inside of us that create the movie of self. They're the images we see when we think, they're the voices we hear when we imagine people, when we imagine what outsiders will think of us. It's the voice we hear when we're thinking about other people. It's all the images and the whole bag of tricks inside of you. It's all made of archetypes. Yeah, that absolutely affects your perspective of the world and the people around you. Likewise, without this inner dimension full of archetypes, the projections on a movie screen would be totally uninteresting because we can only reflect upon the things that exist on some level within ourselves. Which is also could be said magically. What you put in, you get it back. It's just math. I have a quote here by James Hillman. Uh, he says, Young called all these figures shadow self, ego, anima, etc. The little people, a tongue-in-cheek reference to the homunculus. Isn't that interesting? In Crowley's Toth Tarot, the, the hermit card, there's a homunculus on the art. It looks like a sperm. It looks like the spermatozoon. Kind of hermit energy, you know? Sit and meditate in a dark room. Think about all this homunculus stuff yourself in the shadows with your little lamp. With a little lamp going into the darkness of your under psyche. You're outside of civilization. Civilization is the known. You're going into the unknown. Makes sense. It's here that the memes converge between Carl Jung and Aleister Crowley. In short, C.G. Jung and the Book of the Law, Chapter 3, are describing, in essence, the same process towards attaining wholeness. Specifically, one's method and orientation towards one's inner audience of voices, ideas, motives, drives, and personalities. Book of the Law, chapter 3, line 4. Choose ye an island, fortify it, dung it about with enginery of war. I will give you a war engine. With it, ye shall smite the peoples, and none shall stand before you. Read literally, these lines from Book of the Law suggest building something like rockets, nukes, tanks, stealth bombers, 
maybe even a Death Star, but Vader knew in A New Hope that these kinds of weapons are insignificant compared to the power of controlling the self. It's the crown jewel of both practices, becoming fully conscious beings through the ritualistic effort of bringing one's unconscious drives into conscious use. The island described in the Book of the Law equates to the Egyptian Ben-Ben, but in modern terms, we could say it represents the ego, which arises from the undifferentiated waters of the unconscious, which is collective and shared. Our egos, like lonely islands populated with their own private tribes of thoughts, ideas, complexes, and selves. Yeah, Crowley's comments on it, he says the islands are chakras, and which only proves is these points Luke just talked about even more. It's like you're operating what chakra you channel and you know, like that's the idea. I mean, if you want to relate this to Star Wars, when Rey goes to the island that Luke is on and then there's that cave under the island and that's basically like the shadow work cave and Luke is like, don't go there. Don't go there. Because Luke is afraid to face his own shadow, right? But then Rey goes down there into the cave and she's basically ends up in like, like seeing multiples of her herself there's like a mirror and she sees the roots of her shadow based in her childhood luke on dagobah he he kills darth vader and then he sees it as yeah. himself in the yeah yeah totally it's, the same. it's good stuff though so both young and crowley were cautious in suggesting there was some there there in regards to the other's method of practice either esoteric or psychological in fact young describes the anima as a component aspect of the shadow but also the mystic lens through which the mystic or the magician glimpses their gnosis. And interesting you say that seeing your younger self or the quote-unquote inner child, as it's referred to, triggers this reaction. You can also get to a point where you see it in other people that are antagonistic to you or that actually have harmed you. A, a way of dealing with trauma from people that have actually physically or mentally harmed you is to try to view them as a mirror image of yourself. I think that's what Goethe meant when he said there's nothing he had ever heard of that he couldn't imagine doing himself. To understand and to try to empathize with the aggressor is a great way to also confront these feelings in the shadow in yourself. Where you get that old saying, walk a mile in my shoes, that's to put yourself into the perspective of being able to understand what that person thinks and feels and is and like what made them the way that they are even if you don't know like it, it's a kind of ability to empathize now in terms of magic and psychology where they meet we have the anima carl jung says the anima believes in the beautiful and the good a primitive conception that antedates the discovery of the conflict between aesthetics and morals. Sounds kind of fun. The anima lives beyond all categories and can therefore dispense with blame as well as with praise. Since the beginning of time, man, with his wholesome animal instinct, has been engaged in combat with his soul and its daemonism. If the soul were uniformly dark, it would be a simple matter. Unfortunately, this is not so, for the anima can appear also as an angel of light, a psychopomp who points the way to the highest meaning, as we know from Faust. With the archetype of the anima, we enter the realm of the gods, or rather, the realm that metaphysics has reserved for itself. Everything the anima touches becomes numinous, unconditional, dangerous, taboo, magical. She is the serpent in the paradise of the harmless man with good resolutions and still better intentions. She affords the most convincing reasons for not prying into the unconscious, an occupation that would break down our moral inhibitions and unleash forces that had better been left unconscious and undisturbed. As usual, there's something in the anima that says, for life in itself is not good only, 
but also bad, because the anima wants life. She wants both good and bad. These categories do not exist in the elfin realm. Bodily life, as well as psychic life, have the impudence of going along with much better without conventional morality, and they often remain the healthier for it. If the encounter with the shadow is the apprentice piece in the individual's development, then that with the anima is the masterpiece. Exactly, like a masterpiece of art cannot have just light shades of, of color, cannot have just dark shades. It has to have a complement of both sides. Otherwise, it's, it doesn't look lifelike. According to both Aleister Crowley and C.G. Young, one masters their shadow before meeting in ecstatic union with their holy guardian angel. Yeah, that's awesome. That was, definite, like I, that was definitely true for me. Same here. Lamaila Duquette, in one of his uh, Facebook videos, he said it, you know, your holy guardian angel, when it meets you with that demon power, it's like a an engine that's just getting like the best fuel or something like that and it just supercharges the angel and it wants to be with you it's like because you're so fucked up <laughs> and it's so pure and it, it just marriage of that is just like the real magician kicks in and i was like man that's dope <laughs> it's like the attraction of positive and negative and electricity and magnetism right it's just math <laughs> young when he talked about the shadow he actually like had two separate definitions of a shadow and one of them being personal shadow and then the other was the collective shadow the personal shadow was quote the thing a person has no wish to be young said that it's the sum of nasty parts of yourself that you personally don't like that aren't in a line with your true will so to speak it's what you hide you actively are hiding these things sometimes it can have like some good in it you know like like we were talking about anger you know using your strength and like oppressive force to overcome a situation so like the unconscious mind goes into the combat zone it comes out like killing everything it saw on its way out and it came out bloodied whereas like the conscious mind coming into the same combat situation will use tactics science it planned it out and it comes out shooting only one bullet solid snake style the personal shadow represents that bloodied naked man with no story to tell because he's he's a savage the beast the, the beast yeah we don't really want to do that we want to have that under control as well as we have all the science and the training under control we need to be able to balance that i think but also that, the higher world too like the the angel self would just be like no, I will turn the other cheek and let my enemies martyr me. Like there's, But there's somewhere between the middle. Like, how do you choose the higher path and work in the lower world at the same time? Like, how do you... You, in, you integrate. Integrate. Yeah. It's integration. Absolutely. And this totally reminds me of... There is this art meme that was going around about 12 years ago that I did. And it's draw your character now and then draw the opposite of your character. Oh. And I did that. And it's really crazy. Because now that I've integrated my shadow, I'm like both of them. Like, I've accepted the qualities of my shadow. I don't think you can ascend the tree of life without also working through the cliff walk. I really firmly believe that, that as you go through the spheres, you are also dealing with the shells that are relative to those spheres. That seems to be an unspoken thing where they're like, hey, if you call in positive energies of this sphere you're also going to magnetize like the bad part of that sphere like it's the, it's all in the same thing mm. if you draw in a bunch of light into Gavura, well you better have dealt with some of your anger issues and your wrath issues because otherwise they may flame out when you're talking to kamiel and hanging out with the burners of god or whoever you might become one and it might not be pleasant some classic examples of the personal shadow include Mr. Hyde, 
as in you hide him, Tyler Durden, and of course, the Wolfman. It's just really basic shadow archetypes. As Carl Jung says, the shadow is a living part of the personality and therefore wants to live with it in some form. It cannot be argued out of existence or rationalized into being harmless. So there's a personal shadow and the collective shadow. And, you know, you can go and read Ion and all the books that Jung wrote where he's commenting on this more. But the, the best example I have is like the bad sheeple mentality. The bad sheeple mentality that are responsible for a lot of the massacres and genocides in our world. The people who are out there actively doing the things, the groups of people. And I can think of no better example than Nazi Germany. That kind of collective shadow. This is a word that's talking about a whole group of people who have the same projection going on and it, the message is for them, they were like the superior race or something. And that collectively drove them to go out and kill people. If you think that mentality, that the way that the Nazis operated is manly and like super strong, powerful, you're, it's actually wrong. Those are man babies. Those are people who have collectively suppressed their shadow and they don't understand other people and they went out and projected their inner shadow problems onto the world and their babies. And they look to the state or the world or the, or the leader to alleviate those problems for them rather than facing them themselves. It ended up affecting the world. It, it, changed, it changed everything and it drove more hatred and the U.S. ultimately developed the freaking atomic bomb and it didn't help anything. That's baby mentality. There's a new theory called mass formation, and most people will call it mass formation psychosis. But apparently, if a giant group of people are in the same place and they're communicating with each other, the hysteria will multiply by exponential effects because they don't think for themselves. They don't have this, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to look at this logically. They just listen to what their neighbor says, and it transfers over, and then there becomes a hysteria. And groups of people will do very awful things when this is happening. Carl Jung relates it to if the insane asylum just all the doors flung open and everyone was just like having a, a fit, you couldn't stand there and tell them to calm down. It just couldn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's a certain level of chaos that, and he relates it also to a madman. They are the same thing. You can't talk them out of it because within them is the equivalent of that entire madhouse of energy. Putting on a social scale, that's fucking terrifying. Well, that's the thing is it can embody itself in people, in events, and that's, I think, what it means by the collective shadow. Man always has this potential to be overwhelmed by his circumstance and to act outside of what he just or she just felt a few seconds ago to be morally normal like if somebody can be stressed to the point of acting completely immoral and some of those circumstances are outside of our control like a lot of us don't get to decide if we have a mental breakdown today or tomorrow no there's no way to stop how grief will affect us and in the same way when there's grief going on collectively when there's war when there's racism going on like rampantly and built into the system it creates a collective shadow and so yeah, or, or even like a fire drill if there's a if there's a an accident or a fire that's happening people will trample each other to get out of this the area they don't think about oh i don't i shouldn't step on this person they just go even if maybe that individual person would never think to step on someone under normal conditions, that's what ends up happening. And the collective shadow, I think, could have, you know, vice versa as well. The collective shadow does have an influence on the personal shadow. You know, Jung talked a lot about ego and the shadow being two sides of the same coin where one, the ego is your conscious actions and then your shadow is like your instinctual unconscious actions. 
that you're doing. Okay. So your shadow can take over your ego. This is typically where the projection starts and your whole world kind of starts crumbling down around you and you see everything else as a horrible world. And it's all because we can't deal with our own personal shadow. That's why everything, like it starts to creep out and your perspective of the world starts to change because you're having a problem. I know this happens because I've had things happen to me and it sucks and I start to see the world differently and it's like either a lesson learned or I'm just, I was doing something really stupid for a long time, for many years, and it's just like, you can see the world turn to shit, and it sucks. You do drag down people that are in the same current with you, because I was around healthy people. You know, thankfully, that's why I'm not out on the streets, or I haven't lost my mind yet. I live in Los Angeles. It's very easy to do that for free. And we feel like, oh, I, I can go out and be on the streets homeless, not be at the home that is provided for me, and do all that stuff, because all I see is shit, and my actions are justified. Nobody can feel this way. It's special to me. And the truth is, you're going to ruin your life if you continue that. We can't identify with our traumas because that isn't our true will. At least that's what Crowley would say. That's not what you're here for. We're not here to suffer and cry our whole lives. The soul and the shadow are not identical. So learn who you are. <laughs> what you're saying about the ego versus the shadow, you know, when people have an ego death and then they ultimately end up being pretty much the same person that they were before. So this has a lot to do with the way that our brains are wired. I typically relate this to water carving out riverbeds and canyons in the earth. So this is like the way that our brain fires. These are our neural pathways. So what happens if you have an ego death and you haven't done anything to change the way that that water runs its course, then when another ego pops up, to take its place because it will it always does we can't function in this world without an ego so when that starts to happen and you start developing a new ego to function in this world all the water just ends up flowing down the same you know riverbeds that were already previously carved out so when you do shadow work what you're trying to do is for one you're recognizing where all of your water is going where it's all flowing how your neural pathways fire and you are actively doing things to rewire yourself and how you function so that when you do have an ego death it flows in a new direction towards where you want that water to go. And then you can be like, oh, okay, this water is going over here. And look at this garden. Look at all this lush green that's coming from this because I redirected this water. So that has a lot to do, I think, with what Malcor was just saying about the ego versus the shadow. The way that these neuropathways habitually fire... This wiring that we have obviously starts in our developmental stages. It starts when we're born, really, when we start developing how our pathways fire. So Carl Jung points out that the shadow develops in your childhood. You really don't escape your childhood without having gained a shadow. And, but that's no need to worry. Don't panic because that actually presents so many opportunities for growth. Just recognizing that. Carl Jung said... The reason why the involvement looks very much like a psychosis is that the patient is integrating the same fantasy material to which the insane person falls victim because he cannot integrate it, but is swallowed up by it. Which reminds me a bit of, of something that Edgar Allan Poe once said, which was, I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. So the reason why I put these quotes in there is basically this is what happens when you deep dive right away. It can feel a lot like complete insanity or it can look like complete insanity, just the same way that ego deaths can look like that. 
And very interestingly, when we talked about MK Ultra when I first came on the show, uh, a lot of these operations are done on children. And it's very important because they're developing. So if you can program when you're younger, that's the ideal. And a lot of these kids grow up to be adults that have disassociative disorder or they have multiple personalities. Disassociative identity disorder. Thank you. Yeah, that's developed quite often in your childhood. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's because you have different personas that you break into depending on the situation that you're in. It's a defense mechanism. You have spells where you disassociate, especially if there's a certain trauma trigger um, happening, you know, that's something that has to do with a childhood development. And that is ingrained in something that's, I honestly think it's below your ego because it's, it's, it's part of your animal programming. Think about it for a minute, how it works. The whole idea is in theory to compartmentalize and segment someone's psyche to the point where they don't know about each other. And, and they then, can't function as a whole person. Right. And on the flip side, integrating and becoming a whole person is not the absence of having those personalities, but being aware of them and having them work as a whole together, yeah. excluding none of them. And that's why I think integration is extremely important to understand. And that's part of facing your shadow, not only understanding what it is, it may perhaps be the opposite of your personality, but it's important to accept those things into yourself and understand that you're capable of those things. Maybe your ego will not allow you to do those things, but some people don't have that ego harness at any given time to keep them from doing these bad things. So this is where the mental illness kind of comes into it. Me, I'm a furry, right? And I like animals and I like to pretend I'm a dog sometimes. But at the same time, you know, I understand that I'm not a dog person. I'm not a real dog. It's a role I play in order to integrate some of these nonverbal or uh, disassociative aspects of my childhood experience. So, and then that's the thing is like psychopaths and people that commit crimes, they don't understand the difference between reality and fantasy, whereas I do. Well, oh. some of them, some of them, some of them do, most of them do know that what they're doing is against the law, and some of them belong in a mental hospital for well, that what reason. What I'm saying is people that are crazy enough, like, I'm not talking about a sociopath or someone that does it for their pleasure, and they understand what they're doing. I'm talking about somebody that has divorced themselves from reality, and they think that anything they imagine is actually real in real life, like Chris Chan. It's the difference between playing with your kinks and letting your kinks play with you. Yes. Ed Kemper, okay, so Ed Kemper was very close. He could have integrated his shadow. He was very well aware of his shadow. And the shadow's roots, where it all came from. He just didn't do it. He didn't integrate it in a healthy way. He knew this all came from my mom. This all came from rejection. This all came from me feeling this way growing up. This came from me perpetuating the situation by staying with my mom, blah, blah, blah. Like, he knew all of this stuff about his own shadow. Like, he didn't need to kill all those girls. He didn't need to kill his mom. But once he did kill his mom, he was like, oh, I've been killing my mom this whole time. 
Like, he could have done that earlier before all the killing of people. That's the yeah. whole point. Yeah, and he didn't kill every girl that he gave a ride to. Wow. Like, it was, he, he said it was something, something about him would just trigger me, and then, boom, I just, I just get him. And it's like, man, this, this is crazy. This guy, this guy. But it has guy, to do with the mother. It has to do with how the mother treated him in, but in he his knew childhood, that. right? Yeah, when, he was. When he finally did it, he figured it out, and he was like, I think he even said it, like, a lot of those women didn't have to die if I would have just killed my mother first. I think he said something along wow. the lines of that. He was a very, he was a very self-aware and very aware of his shadow. He did, by doing those interviews, help investigators learn what makes a person a serial killer, why a serial killer does what they do, because it was incomprehensible because they hadn't adopted this new download of the way shit works in the universe and that's all that evil shit exists inside of you you know what i mean and like charlie manson was a spy but that's a different episode if you were abused as a child if you were taken advantage of it would make sense that you have this i mean for personally me i have a fight or flight mode i don't fight i flight but some people have the fight that's a problem if they can't get out of that fantasy of oh i'm disassociating and i have post-traumatic stress disorder from abuse and i must fight and they end up killing people even a murderer like ed camper they use tools and they know how to they know what they're doing jordan peterson you know the modern psychologist philosopher guy who's also a meme nowadays because he's <laughs> he's having some shadow problems i think weren't um, you just making fun of him in the discord oh yeah i mean he's when you're public when you're when you're on everything then that's what you get like you know you dug your own fucking grave being famous i'm sorry like that's why i'm not famous and you can't make fun of me for on that level at least anyway he says some good shit. jordan peterson i'm sorry if you're listening to this memes are funny but you say some cool shit but um, one of the things he said is that you can use the shadow as a tool. So like you could literally murder and chop your way through reality if you get a mastery over this tool that is your shadow. And I'm not going to talk about Peterson. I'm going to talk about Tool, the band. Um, they have a lot of Carl Jung and uh, the drummers and Enochian magician. Like if you don't know about Tool, go check them out. They have a song called 46 and 2. 46 and 2, the number thing is about another person who was a like a genealogist he's talking about chromosomes some chromosome stuff looking more it, dna strands more I, psychic I, powers yeah essentially that we're gonna have like this weird collective and personal identity like we're gonna all be connected and know what each other's gonna do before they do it we, we are aware that everybody's connected but also an individual at the same time at that chromosome ratio i I'm not a scientist, so the cool thing about the lyrics and about the band is that they are able to bring in all these big ideas together. And the song's about the shadow. The first lines are straight up talking. The whole song is about his shadow. The main chorus of it, he says, in my shadow, my shadow, change is coming through my shadow. In my shadow, shedding skin, I've been picking my scabs again. He's talking about all this cool stuff, especially the last verse. He's saying he'll cry, kill, and die to be paranoid and to lie, hate, and, you know, the whole last verse is an awesome rap, pretty much. But change is coming through my shadow. You know, it's it's in the music we listen to, and it's it's everywhere. This shadow integration idea, and how powerful it is when you can become a master over it. Even in the tarot, we see a story of a fool integrating all of his different aspects of self until he becomes one with the universe. In the tarot, the card that usually corresponds to the shadow most firmly is the moon card. Atu 18. There we see represented as the Kephara beetle, or perhaps a crab crustacean, the ego, which is arising out of the undifferentiated 
waters of the unconscious. In so doing, it has armored itself off from the collective unconscious and now has a self. I also like to point out in the moon card in the traditional Rider Waite tarot, you know how it's it's two dogs on the bottom. In the Rider Waite tarot, it's actually one dog and one wolf. I think in relation ah. to shadow work as well, that I think that's applicable. And you also have like you have the the docile, the friendly, and then you have the wild and uncontrollable. Yeah, the domesticated dog and the wild dog. A woo. And the straight and narrow path is the one between the two. <laughs> so why would you want to do shadow work? Well, for $5, you could find out at www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit, where your donation of just five bucks will get you access to all our extended episodes, the entire library, and I'll even send you a five by five vinyl sticker of our cover art and the secret keys to our Discord server. You can feel free to talk to us about shadow work and ask us questions. I'm always happy to help people who are going through shadow work. I'm a bit of an asshole, but if you're sincere, I'll be sincere. And uh... Do it! We're not just going to talk about why to do shadow work in the extended show. We're going to tell you how to get started. How yeah, do shadow some, work? Some yeah. tips on getting started, because it, it, it could be a big first step if you're not careful. Yep, so we're going to give you all the ins and outs. Thank you, everybody. Eat carrots and shoot lasers. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs>